2 Samuel chapter 6 and a few verses, verse 10. I'm breaking into this narrative. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him and to the city of David, which of course was Jerusalem. He didn't move it. He couldn't. He had to pause. But he carried it aside, which is um, descriptive, somewhere close. He carried it aside, or somewhere close, into the house of Obedidim the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obedidim the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his household. Somebody told David that. And they said, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obedidim and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went up and brought the ark of God from the house of Obedidim into the city with gladness. I pray right now in the name of Jesus to help the people who hear this word to receive it with great sobriety of spirit. I pray that they would receive it, Lord. For your word is life and it is truth. Let the next few moments be a turning point in the eternity of someone here. Only you can do that, Lord. So we receive your word with readiness of mind. We endeavor right now to take into captivity every wayward thought that would conflict the preached word. I pray these prayers in Jesus' name. By the authority of the word of God, the power that's in your blood, I cover this congregation in the blood of Jesus. Atone us. Be the atonement for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your Bibles behind you and just with your voices and your hearts, give God a praise for his prepared word. Thank you, and you may be seated. Consider the text that I read to you. We are here in this most profound setting in which a new king with a clean heart has desired to return the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem. There are so many commentators. The commentaries are filled with the flow of sights and sounds. Jerusalem stands waiting with bated breath for the ark and for David's entry, but David does not know how to carry the ark, the last image of it was that it was being led away by the Philistines on a cart. So his intentions, no matter how good they were, were no match for God's law. None of our intentions, ladies and gentlemen, will ever really matter juxtaposed against the word of God. I know that I preach a counterculture message today, but I'll say it again. Your good intentions are not going to get you into heaven. 
And the reason why is because God's not going to be mocked. Whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. Life for life, death for death. Seeds sown in the spirit reap the things of the spirit. And seeds sown in the flesh will reap the travities of the flesh. It's the law of the harvest and it will not change. David found out the hard way because even though he was bringing the ark of God back to Jerusalem, he was transporting it in the wrong way. He was doing it the way the Philistines had done it. Now you're going to ask me, how did the Philistines get away with that? All I can tell you is that it doesn't matter how the world lives. You're under a different law. Uh Uh-oh. You're going to tell me, well, they're doing it. Why can't I? I'll tell you why. Because you're a child of the Most High God, blood-bought by the cross of Calvary. All right. The ark. This three-foot box of acacia wood covered with gold was Israel's national treasure. That small golden box was the express representation of God to the whole nation. It was where the cloud of glory had rested for all those years when Moses led the people through the wilderness. It was the embodiment of all that was holy and precious. And upon David's appointment as the king of Israel, the ark was his pursuit. It was premier. David found the ark at the house of Abinadab. It had been there for 20 years. The Bible says that Saul never inquired after it. And David quickly made provisions when he became king to bring it back to Jerusalem. So they put it on this cart. It was pulled by oxen. Of course, David found out later that the small loops on the side of the ark were meant for long poles. And those poles were to be lifted and placed on the shoulders of the priest. No one was supposed to touch the ark. But as they traveled, one of Abinadab's sons, who's been around the ark for a long time, he saw that the cart shook. The oxen either stumbled or stomped. And he put forth his hand to steady the ark of God. And the moment he put forth his hand to steady it, he died. God struck him dead right there on the spot. So much here, I can barely move past it. Yuza, Yuza put his hand. Maybe he had grown accustomed to the golden box. Maybe it was because the ark was no new thing to him, which caused him to have familiarity and take matters into his own hands. Or maybe he had his own intentions because he thought he could help God out. Either way, God's judgment became swift. And he died. And it tells me, ladies and gentlemen, hear this. Don't ever think that you are the one who's going to hold up or steady the things of God. When they are not operating correctly under the obedience of the word, you'll only hurt yourself by trying to prop up what God intends to fall. Don't ever think that you have the power to steady the terms of disobedience. I've met too many arrogant believers who think that they are holding up spiritual matters in the church. Hear me. God is the builder and he is the keeper. And some things need to fall and be exposed. Use it, put forth his hand, so maybe you believe that God's judgment was too severe. And if so, consider how far away we are from understanding the God of heaven and earth. Could it be that the American church, the Pentecostal church, has lost its fear of the Lord in so much that we no longer tremble? I ask you, can you live any way you want to and still be saved? Didn't the scripture plainly display the ark in its precise way that it should be carried? Yes, and I say that if the Lord has blessed you by baptizing you with the Holy Ghost, there is a way that you must carry the Holy Ghost and live, ladies and gentlemen. I already know I'm not here to get a compliment, and there will be few. But I'm going to get where God wants me to get. See, David is distraught. He thought he was doing the right thing. But the right thing 
can also be done the wrong way. We've been Americanized. We think the Bible is an American book. The Bible is not an American book. It was written 2,000 years ago to a culture not our own. Jesus Christ is not a Westerner. Oh, boy. David had to go home and learn how God wanted him, what the Lord required. How do I carry the ark? The ark is the embodiment of the Lord himself. And in our days, it's the Holy Ghost that you have. There's a way that you have to carry yourself if you have the Holy Spirit. So David had to put it somewhere close, somewhere nearby while he studied. And the scripture tells us, and I read it to you, that, that he put it in the house of Obadidim. And the Lord blessed Obadidim, all his house. It was told the king, the Lord blessed the house. The Ark of the Covenant had a direct effect on everything that pertained to the house of Obadidim. The Lord blessed all of it, all that pertaineth. All that came in contact, the business of Obadidim, the fields of Obadidim, the children of Obadidim, the relationship of Obadidim and Mrs. Obadidim. They brought the golden glowing Ark of the Covenant into the house. Perhaps they turned off one box, one glowing artifact, and another one entered the home. And the king knocks on the door and Obed-Edom opens the door and the kids are screaming. And everybody's fighting. Everything's in disarray. Everything's out of order. Finances aren't right. Home's not right. Relationship's not right. And there's the king. And he says, I'm King David. This is the Ark of the Covenant we'd like to put in your house. Things are crazy. Dishes are piled up. People are living out of the laundry basket. Got down to the last towel. People just pass around the towel. Now it becomes the towel. Maury Povich is screaming on the... Whatever. But they bring the Ark of the Covenant in and something changes in the home. And now the house suddenly becomes blessed and everything that pertains to him. That means... His associations, his relationships, his extended family, his children, his crops, his oxen, his sheep, his cattle. Everything's blessed and it was told and they said because of the Ark of the Covenant, everything that was in contact. Because when the Spirit has freedom to fill the house, nothing is left out and everything is affected and it was told to David. And David said, I got to bring that back. See, it was the house, I'll call it, with a glow. I cannot say how or what it was, only that perhaps there was something about it, some residue, something that remained. I don't know that the cloud of glory came into his home, just that they related the blessing of God to the Ark of the Covenant. Obedidim and everything that was connected, it was related because the Ark of the Covenant was there. Move ahead with me in the scripture. Jump centuries. And you'll see this happen throughout the Bible. But if you just, if you just go to the next son in line, Solomon. He'll help us with what's going to happen in the New Testament. Solomon, the son of David, will make a particular fragrance... It was common in his house because it was the fragrance of royalty. The Song of Solomon declares it. Spikenard was the expensive perfume of the kings. It was costly to make, very costly to keep, and costly to buy. Spikenard. Solomon writes that the Shulamite woman who enters the house and the king, though he was sitting at his table, he can smell the spikenard that she is wearing. Solomon relates the bride's purity to that powerful fragrance that fills the room. He called it, and I quote, the chief spice, spikenard. It symbolizes the best in ancient culture, just like we might think of a Tiffany diamond or the golden standard. 
But to keep it, to preserve the spikenard, historians tell us that it took more than a wooden box. The best way to preserve the spikenard was an alabaster jar or a jar made of alabaster. I bought one of those jars when we were in Israel. It's, a, it's like a glass jar, but it has a, a, it's not clear. It's a dark, the alabaster jar is, is, is dark so that no light can penetrate it. It keeps the oil inside pure. The New Testament translators called it the alabaster box. So consider this for a moment. There's a house in Bethany owned by a man named Simon. He used to be a leper until the Lord healed him. But while the miracle might have changed his physical body, it did not change his demeanor. Because when Jesus walked into the house of Simon, the once upon a time leper, no one washed the feet of Jesus. Simon's life was changed, but his level of thankfulness had not risen to the level of his healing. I'm coming back to that. And in the middle of the dinner, as they sat at meat in the house of Simon, the former leper, there came a woman, the Bible says, having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. She broke it and poured it on his head, which, which would, we can correctly assume she broke the seal on the jar. Luke writes that she stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Those men did not need to see the contents to know what the oil was or the ointment was. No one needed to inspect what kind of ointment it was because the house was filled with the fragrance. The alabaster box, the jar alone might have told the story, but the strong amber fragrance was undeniable because immediately the Pharisees started to wonder in their mind why Jesus would let a woman like that touch her and anoint him. And Judas mused why the ointment was not sold and given to the poor. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, those gospels put the pieces in order and the picture becomes clear. The house was filled with the fragrance. It wasn't just the smell, it was her brokenness, her humility. She gave the best that she had, perhaps all that she had. Culturally, it probably was her father's heirloom given to her. The ointment, the oil, would have been passed down from the father to the daughter. Land went to the sons. If so, it was worth a year's wages, a year's salary, the best she had. Because real brokenness requires your best. She poured it on him, his head, his feet, mingled with her tears of repentance. All of it right there. And the house was filled with what happened. The house of fragrance. And I speak to you of the house of glow and the house of fragrance. But I cannot exhaust the whole. The scripture is not a showcase, however, of just feel-good stories. There's so many other stories. God has given us the whole realm of choices. If you take a look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which were the patriarchs themselves, all of them house detriment. Abraham trusted God but stumbled. And he disobeyed God. It caused a ripple effect in the entire world when he took Hagar and had a baby by him, by her, Ishmael. Abraham's home became stained. Sarah grew jealous. It was Isaac against Ishmael until the division was too great to overlook. And then Isaac grew up under the umbrella of his mother's care. He spent his time weeping in her tent. He learned something that was wrong. He learned the most destructive parental quality called favoritism. Because his mama showed him favoritism, so he passed that down to his sons. And he favored Esau over Jacob. He had two sons. They were twins, but he favored Esau over Jacob. Esau appealed to him while Jacob was a mama's boy. The very thing that Isaac was trying to escape. And Jacob having every opportunity to break the chain of dysfunctional families, he mistreated Rebecca and he favored Rachel and it showed in his disregard from the former sons. Only Joseph wore the coat of many colors. Those homes hosted divisions in ways we can barely grasp. Hate, resentment, silence, tears, heartbreak. God 
shows us the whole thing, the whole gamut. It involves the deepest part of life. It is who we are, not here, but at home. Because whatever we are behind closed doors, that is who we really are. Don't clap. I'm just, I'm encouraging myself for the Lord. (laughs) Perhaps some of you are privileged enough to have heard the audible voice of God or maybe then, maybe the Lord has given you some physical insight to the angelic world. I'm so grateful for that. I say to those who have seen visions and heard sounds, we... We do praise God for allowing you access to such magnificent moments. We thank the Lord that he pulled back the curtain long enough so you could briefly at least see a glimpse of the greater reality than the, than the reality we're living in. But day after day as I grope for the word of God to bring before the people of the Lord because I'm commissioned to feed the flock, the majority of the Lord's words come to me in what I can only describe to you as impressions I know when the Lord impresses a word on me, I've, I've walked with him long enough to know it. I know when I don't feel it. A few weeks ago, I held my Bible in my arms and I felt an impression. I wrote it on a little piece of paper and put it in my, my Bible. I felt the Lord prod me to ask this church a question. I wrote it down and put it there. This last week when I opened up my Bible, the little piece of paper fell out and I picked it up and there it was and the Lord impressed me again to ask this to you. What fills your house? At first I thought he might be speaking of the temple, the tabernacle. I would then relate it to this place, our church. But the question was not cloaked in imagery or symbols or analogies. It was linear. A straightforward question seeking a straight, direct answer. The house did not mean the church. It meant the place where you live, our residence, our homes. I ask, what fills your house? The snide reply might be furniture, collectibles. The wisecrack might say air, humidity. But the sober mind knows that the Holy Spirit is seeking a people who don't use the church as a bridge from one weekend to the next. You're not a weekend warrior showing up for spiritual battles on Sunday. He's looking for a bride. The Holy Spirit is calling, hoping to find ears that will hear even this morning and hearts that are open and spirits that are receptive. I'll do that again. Ears that hear, hearts that are open, and spirits that are receptive. I think that miracles and wonders are all around us, some of which are about to be revealed in this house. The prophetic word has been here so many times. But I also know that God's wonders are temporary measures at best. The choice of our daily living is not determined by the miracle of the Lord. Had that been the case, most of those who felt who left the truth would have stayed in the truth because many of them saw miracles, but they backslid from the doctrine. Pharaoh saw the miracles and wonders in the sky and on the land. He saw clear water turn into red blood, but it did not change the order of his house. Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, said to him, Thus saith the Lord of, the, of Hebrews, How long will thou refuse to humble yourself before God? See, the nature of your house, whether we accept it or not, is not determined by the miracles that happen in your life. Because many sit in this house and you've had miracles in your life, but you still reject humility before God. Many have experienced powerful wonders of financial blessings, but you still reject giving your tithes to the Lord. People are in this house today that your children have been healed and you've been delivered from many things, but you still reject serving God because you rather do it half-heartedly because your homes are filled with things that are adverse to the things of God. Hear me. The nature of your house, whether we accept it or not, determines the nature of this house. Don't clap. Hear me. When you are dishonest at home, it's difficult to break through and worship at church. When your home is filled with lies and corruption, it's difficult to worship God with clear hands, a clear heart. 
here pastor when you teeter on living a, a separate life from the world and you're wondering one day I could be in church but maybe tomorrow I won't it's awkward to lift up your hands in the freedom of the Holy Ghost I'll just apologize and set the record straight all in one sentence let me apologize I'm sorry forgive us if you were led to believe that all you had to do to be saved was to come to church and sing. I'm sorry if you were told that your home was your private life and the church is where you worshipped. Please forgive all the preachers who said your home is your private life. You can have your private life and your spiritual life. That was a lie. You cannot have a private life absent from your spiritual life. You're either spiritual or you're carnal. You're either saved or you're lost. I hope you can understand my heart, but I'm not here to play games. God's calling for a called out church, a spotless bride. And what happens in your home determines the church. That's right. Hear me. Here, pastor today, we've got to go back to our homes and clean them out in our conversations with our children and our families and our spouses and our husbands and our wives. Shame on our churches because we have not gone back to the home. It doesn't begin here. It begins where you live. It begins in your bedrooms, in your closets, in your, in your, in your restrooms, in your kitchens, in your phantom rooms, in your garage. What fills up your house? If God is welcomed, if God is inside of that place, then things change. If the Lord, if the, if the Spirit of God is welcome here, Pastor, everything that pertaineth to you, if humility, you know why Jesus spoke the way he did to the disciples and the Pharisees? He said, leave her alone. And then he gave a little analogy. He said, a man was forgiven much and a man was forgiven little. Tell me, which one is more thankful? And they repeated to him, the man who has been forgiven much. I ask you, are you sitting here thinking that you've only been forgiven of a little? Because if you were forgiven of a lot, you take the best of your life and you break it before God and you put it in your home. I wonder how many have been forgiven of a lot how many have been forgiven a much because if you've been forgiven a much you should bring God your best I got a word to preach to you I don't know if you're with me or not but I'm responsible to the word of God whether it seemed right before you I don't know but I've got to speak the things that God's gave me we have got to get our homes clean and pure and righteous For all of those who say, we got to go to church so we can get filled up. Does that mean that your home has no spirit in it? How about you go to your, how about you go to your living room and get filled up? How about go to your kitchen table and get filled up? I wonder who has a Bible on their table. I wonder who has a Bible that's open in their living room. I wonder who has a Bible open in their bedroom. I'm counterculture today because I'm fighting against the things you think that are permissible. When God said, you have the Holy Spirit, now it's time to live a certain way. You don't get to pull the Holy Spirit around any way you want. You don't get to act any way you want. You don't get to act like the world. I don't care what everybody else does. You're under a different law. It's the law of grace and the law of God. It's a holy, it's a holy God. It's a righteous God. I just have to know what happens after Sunday night. What happens on Friday? What happens on Saturday? What happens when you get low and you're tempted? What happens when the world decides this is okay, that's okay? What happens now I actually have to stand up here and tell you that marijuana is bad for you? I really have to stand up and tell you that you, 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 can't, you can't live together and have sexual relations together before you're married. I really have to say that. I'll tell you why I have. Because you were waiting to hear it at the church and there's no law of the Lord in the home. What fills your home? 
Is it yelling and screaming? Is it, is it, is it, is it acting like the devil with your own family? Then you come in and you say, Pastor, pray for my children. They really need a lot of help. I'll tell you, no prayer of mine is going to solve the problems that you're creating with your own kids. You get back in that home. You love them. You exhibit the fruit of the spirit in your bedrooms and in your dining room and you'll bring it into the house. But if you don't have him there, you probably won't find him here. I want to know what fills your house. What's the atmosphere of your home? When you walk into your home, can you feel the Lord? Or do you just feel tension? Is everything just tense? When you walk in, is there a glow of the Lord inside of your home? Is there a fragrance of thankfulness? I'm so grateful. Where is there a brokenness before the Lord? Is there the smell of humi- humility when you walk out? Or is it the smell of arrogance? Is it you coming to Sunday morning saying, nobody's going to tell me what to do, where to go. I don't have to serve because I love the Lord. I can just love him all by myself. Is that how you live? Mm-hmm. I want to know what occupies your home. How about deceit? How about some of you that have two cell phones? Or how about some of you who have a passcode on your cell phone? Because you like to have private things. How about some of you that have a Facebook account and when you don't like your wife very much, you just start to peruse through the old girlfriend that you had back in whatever. <laughs> Let me just tell you something, guys. You don't look so good. <laughs> oh, I'm preaching to you now. I'm telling you. See, I know how this is going because the Lord already told me. He, asked, he, uh, he has a question for you. What's in your house? That's not my question, you see, because I don't know what's in your house. But he knows, but he's asking you to answer the question, what fills up your house? Confusion. You know how confusion starts? You come to church and you look a certain way, but the moment you leave here, you look a different way and your daughters are taking on what you look like out there, not what you look like in here. You're, you're stirring up so much confusion that by the time they hit their teenage years and start messing around with the boys and the things in the world, then you're going to come and you're going to cry, pray for my child, pray for, pray. They're in the world. I'll tell you where they started. They started in the world in your home, not in the church. And for everybody who says, hold on, for everyone who says, I don't know what happened to my son or daughter. I raised them in the church. That is not true. There is no beds here. There's no closets here. There's no showers here. And we have limited bathrooms. Nobody lives here. You didn't raise them here. You raised them in your home. So don't, don't look at the Millers and the Fishers and the Doherty's. Don't look at Austin Keller and Dana and say, I'm going to drop them off. You make them spiritual. Don't do that because they cannot combat what happens in your home seven days a week, 24 hours a day with a one hour service. I want to know about you ladies. I want to know. Do you love the Lord? Or do you just love him on certain times? Or are you devoted to God? Come on, men. I want to know. What happens to you? What happens to you? Is it whenever you're tempted and drawn away, you just succumb to all of that? Is that what happens? I want to know. Does God just overlook people with the Holy Ghost having fornication and affairs? Is that okay? Really? That, that's, that's something's wrong with that? Live-ins and shack-ups and all the stuff. Listen, it's easy to come to new life because the spirit is so powerful here. It's wonderful. But I feel like I've got an obligation to the word to speak the truth to your life. You need to get down below the surface and start digging out the roots And if you grew up wounded, if you grew up hurt and abused, you get down to that root and you pray and reveal it and write it down until you conquer that. Somebody's got to break the chain. Isaac could have broke the chain. 
But Isaac did not break the chain. Instead, he showed favoritism and it cost him a division in his family. And Jacob surely should have broke the chain. But instead, it caused division in his family and his sons were distraught the whole course of their life. You say, well, well my, my, my dad was an alcoholic. Yes, well, my grandpa was an alcoholic. And my dad did his homework in the bar while he watched my grandfather drink himself into stupors. And I've never seen my grandpa Harpole ever till the day he died. I've never seen him without a beer in his hand. He didn't drink out of a can. He had a tall glass with a frosted top. And that's how he drank every day. I never see him, I've never seen him drink an iced tea, a water, or a Coke. Never. And I've never seen my dad drink anything but water, tea, and a Coke. So if you're going to tell me the reason why you're like you're the way you are is because you're daddy, I'm going to tell you right now, today is the day to break that chain. You've got to fill your house up with something else. You better fill your house up with something else. You better fill your life up with something else. I'll tell you what you ought to do. You ought to turn on a Christian radio station and let it permeate your home. You ought to walk around a little bit and say, thank you, Lord. You ought to be singing the songs that you learn at church as best you can in your home. You ought to be saying thank you and please and kind words and loving, loving terms to your family. That's how you change the church. But nobody changes the church inside the church. We change it when we get to our homes. And we love God when we get to our homes. And I'm saying to you today, because my heart is gripped, you cannot cuss during the week and expect the Holy Spirit to flow out of you on Sunday. One man told me a few years ago, well, I just slip up every once in a while. Really? That's how you're going to do it? That's how, you, that's how you justify that? You just slip up every once in a while? You just slip up and you say it? Is it okay if I say it? Can I just say a few curse words? It's okay. You say them every day. Why don't we just say them here at church? What do you mean? You mean we're going to say those things there, but we're not going to say them here? Let me just repeat a few cuss words. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm sorry. I'm not going to. No, mother. I, I won't do it. Mother fell down. <laughs> No, no, baby, I won't. I don't know who said it. Forgive me, I'm sorry. I, I won't do it, I promise. Got scared, I'm sorry. You don't think about any big deal on Friday and Saturday. You don't think about it. When you get mad, you say, well, I'll just cuss them out. But I'll do go, the Lord will forgive me. Hear me. If we don't start living holy and separate from the world, we won't have a revival. God wants to give us a revival and miracles, signs, and wonders. But that's not going to change us. we got to make the choice to change ourselves and get inside of our homes and have Bible studies and love the Lord and speak kind words to each other. Is it the lie? Is it the lie among couples? Is that how we live? Man, there's no lies. I don't even have, I don't even have a passcode on my phone. If Tammy wants to pick it up, I have one, one passcode. It's been the same one I've been using forever. My kids know it. In fact, I would just take it off, but it's there. I don't have a passcode on my phone. How would you just pick it up? Why? You mean we would hide a text? A phone call? An Instagram? A Facebook post? I'm wondering. The church has a Facebook because, Brother Broad Street handles that securely and sometimes people post dumb things and he erases them. I don't even have to go around looking because someone takes a screenshot of a Facebook 
Oh, I'm, I'm going to mess with you now. Some of you just don't like this already. You, you wish you would have come next week. You don't like it, and I already feel your spirit. You don't like it, but I'm just going to tell you. Shame on you for saying you have the Holy Ghost, but then when you're pregnant, you put pictures of your pregnant bellies on Facebook. That is a shame. Have a little decency and modesty. Nobody wants to see you. I'll tell you what happened. We got so enamored with, with people. We said, we're just going to go to a church where we're never messed with. We, we, we just want the love of the Lord. I'm going to tell you what the love of the Lord does. The love of the Lord constrains you so that you don't do what you want to do. I pray for many of you that it doesn't matter how you live. Because if it matters, you probably won't go to heaven. <laughs> Oh, well, we'll see how this works. I'll find out next Sunday. I'll tell you what, I, I, feel, I feel like I've got it. Elders, I will tell you, if I don't preach the word of the Lord, and this is the word of the Lord, this is not my own made-up stuff. Paul had to address the issues in the New Testament church because it was corruption in the church. We want a Holy Ghost revival. We want people to be saved. But I wonder, what are they going to be drawn to? They're not going to be drawn to the music. They're not going to be drawn. They're not going to be drawn to the programs. They're going to be drawn to clean and holy, righteous, living people. You are set apart. So I'll just repeat the word. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among the world and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I'm almost done. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. My mom and dad didn't have everything right. They didn't do everything right. We're not doing everything right. But they did. But they did have the word in the house. And we did have prayer in the house. And we did have worship in the house. And I was so glad when Scott was a teenager, he learned his first church song, See the Bright Light Shine. It's just about home time. Every time somebody came over, I'd say, my brother can play, see the bright light shine. Scotty, get over there. Wait till you see my brother play, see the bright light shine. We'd all gather around the piano. I sang, see the bright light shine, 1,000 times. Everybody came over, we get around the piano. Scott starts playing, see the bright light shine. It's just about home time. I can see my Savior standing at the door. This world has been a wilderness. I'm ready for deliverance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, my root goes down to saying, this world's not my home. I'm not trying to blend in. I'm trying to get out. I'm not trying to be accepted. I'm trying to get out. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to have community. I'm trying to get to heaven. I want to go back to see the bright light shine a little bit. I want it to be in my home. I want it to be in my mind. I want it to be in my spirit. This world has been a wilderness. Don't you know that everything you see and everything you read from the USA Today to every news channel, the world is pushing all of their worldly agendas into your brain. And so it's difficult to reconcile the Bible with the world that we're living in. That's why we got to take a little break from the world and say, I got to get the word back in my home. I got to get the word and worship back in my house. It's Obedidim. It's Obedidim by accident. It's Obedidim by default. It's Obedidim by location, not by intent. It's Obedidim, not because he wanted it there, but because David needed to figure out how to transport the most precious thing in Israel. It's Obedidim. And he opens the door. Look at Pastor. He opens the door. 
And there it is. And they bring it in. And everything that pertains to him. Think of what pertains to you right now. Think of everything that pertains to you. Your job. Your car. Your children. Your marriage. All of your relationships. Everything that pertains to you can be blessed. If the Spirit of the Lord is in your home. Now, see, the boundaries that are put on us from the Scripture and the standard of living that we try to live, it doesn't mean we're better than anyone else, but I'll tell you, you start breaking down those walls and those standards and those barriers and those hedges, you start breaking them down, it'll cost you in the long run. You tell me, you raise your children in an atmosphere in your home that loves God, the chances are great that you won't have to bail them out of jail. You won't have to go get a car that's repossessed because they've been driving 90 miles an hour with a DUI. You won't have to pay for an attorney to try to get them out on community service. I will just tell you right now, invest every day that you have in your home and entertain the presence of God. What fills your house? Here's the question the Lord wants to ask you. What's filling up your home? You kids are about to get married, aren't you? September. Is that still on? You going to go through with this? Emmanuel, you ready? Do you know what you're doing? No, you don't. But that was a good, that was a good thought, Emmanuel. You're going to have to make a decision. And the decision is going to be what permeates your home. Truth. Because about the first year or so, honeymoon. Honeymoon. Then about a year from now. Things start to settle in. See, right now, Julia, you only see him at his best. Smells good. Handsome. He dresses up for you. So you have to decide when it gets tough and when honeymoon is kind of over and you step into the next year, what binds you together? Honesty. Look at Pastor. Honesty between you. Purity, the word of God, knowing the scripture, loving the Lord, not here, at home. And when you have it at home, then you're going to bring it into the house. Now, you don't have to wait to the third song to feel freedom in the spirit. It should be that when the first song is played, all of a sudden you're right there in the presence of God. You know why? Because you've been bringing it in from the outside to the inside. But we have three songs And I don't know why we have three songs. It's okay. Maybe we need four. (laughs) But it should be the first lyric of the first song. You know why? Because you've been doing this at your house. And when you got in this house, you brought that atmosphere to this house. See, all the fragrance of brokenness and humility, it'll fill up this house. Everything of love will fill up this house. All the graciousness. Hey, hear me. If you are a prejudiced racist at home, even if no one knows it in the church, you bring in that nasty, corrupt, decaying spirit in the house. If you're a liar and a cheater at home, it don't matter if anybody knows it, you're bringing that spirit in this house. But if we want this house to be holy and pure, you get in your home and you clean it out and you throw away everything that's not of God. Oh! hear the word of the Lord I pray today that you would hear the word of the Lord I pray you would hear the word of the Lord please stand with me now if you will
Oh, Father, I've done what you asked me to do, Lord. I don't know. I don't know if it's fallen on deaf ears or hard hearts. I don't know if the people have rejected it. I don't know if anybody's angry at me, Lord. But Lord, I pray. Talk to them. These are your people. Talk to them, Lord, I pray. Purify your people, Lord. Let this be a called out people, Lord. We cannot be in the world, Lord. We cannot be in the world, Lord. We will not be carnal in the world, Lord. Everybody has an excuse. Everybody has an excuse, Lord. But they're not going to amount to anything, Lord. Ah. Ah. I'm calling for commitment. I'm calling for consecration. If you're committed, level, raise the level of your commitment. If you're consecrated, raise the level of your consecration. If you're dedicated, take a step forward in your, in your dedication. Whatever level you think you are, say it to God right now. I'm going to be more committed. I'm going to be more dedicated. I'm going to be more consecrated than I've ever been. I say to you, break before God the most expensive thing that you treasure. Give it to God. Everything that you have, give it to God. Hold nothing back. Hold nothing back. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Men, here, here, Pastor Men, I'm calling for you, men. I'm calling for you, men. Dedicated, godly men. Strong in the word. Worshippers. I'm calling for you ladies. Come on, mamas and grandmamas. Say it out of your mouth. I want to be pure as unto the Lord. I want to be pure as unto the Lord. I got to be pure as unto the Lord. I ain't playing games. I ain't playing games. I'm not playing games. I'm not playing games in my spiritual walk with God. I'm not. I don't have to be like the world. I'm under a different law, Lord. It matters to you how I live. It matters to you what I say. It matters to you where I go. I feel the Holy Ghost helping us now. He's helping us a little bit now. Here, Pastor, your intentions aren't going to save you. You don't have enough good intentions to get you to heaven. They won't even get you one step closer. You got to obey the word of God. Some of you need to go back to your childhood and remember what you were taught from your pastor and from your father and mother. You need to go back to those godly commitments and you need to embrace them one more time. Oh. I feel very subconscious. I feel very... I know what's about to happen to me. I feel very subconscious. I'm going I'm to question myself when I get done with this. But I just... I pray it, Lord. I put it into your hands. better clean up your Facebook accounts and your Instagram accounts you better clean up your language now you better get into commitment now it's time it's time don't play with God it's time it's time come on be more committed than you've ever been before throw away all the things of the world come on come on now be right with God come on be, you can't fake out God come on be right with God that's right wherever you're at lift up your hearts to the Lord and if pastor said something that hit you you just say Lord I accept and I receive it don't recoil don't get angry receive the word my brain my mind my heart my ears are open now just if you'll appease me and I'm sorry to ask you this, but you'll just help me. If you'll lift up your hands right now, everybody in this building, just say, I receive the word for my life. Every part of the word, I won't reject it. I won't spit it out. I won't, re I won't refute the word. That's right. Come on, just receive it. I receive the word for every part of my life. 
I receive the word. I'm receiving the word that was delivered today. It's life-changing word. It's the word that's worth more than all the world. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, You're a holy God. 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 You've called us to be a holy people, Lord. A royal priesthood. A peculiar people. A holy nation. Righteous before you, Father. You require of us, Lord, the constraints of the flesh to kill the deeds of the flesh and the work of the flesh, Lord. Luke 14 and 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. I wrote in your bulletin about the weddings that have been taking place. I heard a couple people say in the last couple months that the wedding was wonderful, but they were a little disappointed because a couple of folks that they invited did not show up. Something came up and they missed it. But the tables were set and, and the plates were empty. The parable of Luke chapter 14 is not very re- far removed from us because the Lord said that a special banquet was prepared and guests were invited. But one by one, all of the special guests had an excuse. One man talked about his property that he had just bought. He needed to go check it out. Another said that they had oxen, some business purchases. Everyone had an excuse. Ultimately, the value of the prepared banquet did not rise above their personal endeavors. And we have excuses too. I wrote in your bulletin, There are many reasons why people are not committed to the church. I've heard a long list of reasons why church members don't attend. On Wednesday night Bible class, other people told me how difficult it is to make it back for Sunday evening worship. The list goes on and on. From church fellowships to prayer meetings to serving. The real issue today comes down to priorities. It might just be my age, but I've seen enough to know that everyone does what they want to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Seeing that values vary, the banquet, the church, worship involvement, it's left for those who believe the kingdom work is greater than everything else. I mince no words here today because today I come to you as your pastor. (laughs) Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there will your heart be also. There's only one way that we can tell the intentions of the heart. Treasure is time, it's effort, it's energy, it's passion, sometimes it's finances. And I wrote in your bulletin, intentions do not reveal the heart. It's what we do that reveals what we value. Do you have an excuse today? Well, there are many excuses. In fact, anyone can make an excuse. Jesus called the banquet a great supper. He spoke of that great supper as supreme, all-encompassing, critical. So when the original guest didn't come, the master sent his servant out to other people. He went to the highways, to the hedges, because he had a need that his table will be full. You see, somebody's going to come. It might not be the original invitees or those who think they're qualified, but someone's going to come. They're going to fill up the house. I say that if the house is full here, it means that we've readjusted our houses where we live. This house won't be full of people until we reprioritize our homes where we live. So what fills your house? What is it that fills your house? Amen. Amen. Father, I I did what you asked me to do. I hope I did it the right way. 
I'm going to second guess myself, but I pray that you'd cover that, that, that thought with your spirit. Let the members of this church and the saints and the people who love the word, let them embrace it and run to it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this church would be a powerful church that would minister to the needs of people. But, Lord, let us be a church, Lord, that loves your word and adheres to the Holy Scripture. This world is getting worse and worse, Lord. It's getting worse. There is an attack on purity. There is an attack on purity, on genders. Father, I'm praying right now, help us to wake up and become dedicated, powerful, and committed and let it begin. When I close the service and we go back to our homes, let something change in the homes of all the people who call new life their home. And let what fills up their house bleed over into this house. And when we walk in, let the people come with praise. Let them enter with thanksgiving. Let them come into the courts with praise because it's been happening wherever they live. And in their cars, let the sweet things of God be spoken. And while they're driving, let the holy things of God be loved. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Listen, I'm no good to you if I tell you a lie. Go ask somebody around you, what's in your house? I'm changing my house. Just tell them, I'm changing my house. I'm changing my house.